this is the Word of God, and we want to know how to study it and apply it and live it out as we engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere, anytime, and with anybody. So a great principle for reading and understanding Scripture well is that Scripture interprets Scripture. You always use more easily understandable passages to help you understand more difficult passages. This doesn't just contain life, it is life itself. The path to human flourishing is found in God's Word. We don't want to just fill our minds with truths. We want to have our hearts shaped by our Creator. Some of the best ways to learn and understand the Bible is to reproduce it in your life. As the Creator shapes our hearts, we need to have a plan for application. Pass along that day what God has demonstrated to you about Himself or Jesus or what He's teaching you. Give away what you're learning. And as you give away what you're learning, God will root that even deeper in your heart. Good morning, church family. I invite you to continue worshiping by taking your copy of the scriptures, if you have one handy, to the book of James. James chapter 1. James is towards the end of the New Testament between Hebrews and 1 Peter, if that helps. We'll be looking at some verses in James chapter 1 in just a moment. Just a couple things I want to call to your attention to make sure you are aware of. One is uh, next week, next Sunday night, God willing, from 5 to 7 Right to my right, to your left, right outside, weather permitting, we're going to have a family gathering, which I'm super excited about. It's always a good time when we get together and eat and laugh and get to know each other better. So that's next Sunday night, October 2nd, 5 to 7. If it is raining or something like that, God willing, we'll have it in here. That's next week. Second, Josh mentioned to you how to get your bulletin sent to your device. We're wrapping up the master class series this morning, and I want to remind you that there are tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of resources available to you on how to better study the Bible. Lots of different ways, lots of different resources to help you with that. So if you get the bulletin, there'll be some links there. Uh, hopefully you've already seen those, but just a reminder to you. And finally, next week, you'll be hearing from Pastor Mike Glenn. Once a year, all the campuses hear from our pastor, Pastor Brentwood Baptist Church. He'll be kind of simulcasted, if you will, casting vision uh, for the whole church. And uh, then I'll follow up with him and I'll try to correct all the things he said wrong. And, uh, and go from there. But no, next Sunday is kind of been slated as uh, Vision Sunday. And so just, uh, just a word about that. It's always a good time when we hear from him and uh, get to think how that looks here at the church at West Franklin. Okay? James chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading in verse 22. And I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word. And let's read these verses together. James, who is, by the way, the younger brother of Jesus... And if you're here and you're wondering if Jesus really is the Messiah, there may not be a better argument than his own brother believed he was the Messiah. If you can convince your brother that you're the Messiah, it's a good chance you are the Messiah. James 1.22 But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. 
But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Jesus, it's true. One word from you, everything changes. You have the authority and you've given us 66 books where you have declared that you are talking to us and you hold the authority. We can't make you come to us, visit us by the power of your spirit. That's up to you, but we ask that you would. And by your authority and our faith in who you are and what you're doing and what you call us to, may things change for your glory and our joy. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. You ever think about why you look in a mirror? Other than just to remind yourself how beautiful you are. Why do we look in a mirror? We look in a mirror a lot of times to see if there's anything needing attention before we present ourselves to the world. We look in a mirror to see if the hair is in place, those of us who have a bit of hair. We look to see if there's any object hanging from our nose that may needing attention. We don't want the world to see that. We look to see if there's anything in our teeth. Let's see if there's anything in our beard. We look to see if our makeup, if you wear such things, if our makeup is in proper alignment and in order. We look in the mirror to see a reflection to see if we could be presentable to the world. God forbid we leave a pimple and people stare at it all day long. And who knew you could be 45 and still get acne? I thought that was a teenage thing. Well, it implies, does it not, that if you see something in a mirror that needs attention, that you will address it. You don't just see it and leave it. If you go and see a glob of spinach right here in your teeth, You're either going to get a toothbrush if you're near one or something kind of thin and sharp to get that out. It will bother you, at least I hope it does, to think that you could be flashing to the world a blob of spinach. Nobody would have kale in their mouth because who in the world would eat that God-forbidden stuff? Or if you found a blob of cream cheese on your face, you would want to take care of that so people aren't staring at the cheese or, or like pizza cheese, that string that you, you don't feel it, right? You have to see it. And if you see it, you're going you're gonna to get it. Or, or if you missed a spot shaving, you'd want to make sure you take that so it's not obvious. Or if you look and you're like, oh, I forgot the other eye of my eyeliner. <laughs> That's odd. I mean, I've never done that, but I can just imagine. Or I forgot my other lip for my lipstick. That's going to be weird and draw attention. You, you see those things so that you can address it. No one goes to a mirror, at least I hope you don't, sees a big glob of cheese or something foreign hanging from your nose and think, oh, well, they'll just have to get over it. If that's you, you're weird and you're gross. Get a tissue and get that thing out. No one just leaves it there or a big stain of ketchup right here. It just drives you crazy until you can take care of it because you know that when you have a conversation with someone, they're just going to stare. No one just sees themselves in a mirror 
looks around at, the, at the, all the things that needed attention and then forgets about it. We address it. At least most normal people do. Why in the world would we address so quickly a green leaf in our teeth? But when we discover something toxic in our soul, we say, well, that's a good sermon, preacher. I needed to hear that. Man, that was a good Bible study. Mm. (laughs) Something's revealed as we look in the mirror of the word that something's going on with our soul that needs attention. And man, that was so good. We leave the blob of spinach. I, I hope yours doesn't do that. You ever read the Bible just so you can get some more information? Say, boy, that was good. And leave it, that thing, unaddressed. You've heard me use this illustration perhaps. It's very poignant for a message such as this in the the book of James and what he has to say. It's not original with me, but it is so uh, rich. And if you've heard me use it before, I'm sorry, but I think we probably all need to hear it again. Just imagine with me that I've told my children to go clean their room, which I do from time to time. They're all teenagers now, so they never need it cleaned. It's perfect. But just imagine with me that I tell all three of my children to go clean their room. Before you can eat supper tonight, before we have dinner, you must clean your room. And I look at them. I said, do you understand what I'm telling you to do? Clean your room. And they look at me. Okay. And they scurry upstairs. A few hours go by. I hear some stuff happening upstairs. I assume the room's being cleaned. And they come downstairs. I said, supper time. Come on down. And they come down all excited. I'm thinking, man, that's good. All right. They come down very, very excited. I said, did you clean your room? Well, they look at each other kind of sheepishly, but they're still excited. I said, did did you clean your room? Well, Well, no, we didn't clean our room. But listen to what we did, Dad. We did a word study. Clean your room. We studied all three words in the original. We studied what does clean really mean? What does your really mean? What did you mean by room? We did a word study of clean your room. We know that command. We got online and ordered T-shirts that quotes, clean your room, dad. Because we want everyone to know who commanded us to clean our room. Dad, we held hands and prayed about it. We prayed, God, help us clean our room like Dad commanded. We journaled. We pulled out a new journal and journaled about the command to clean our room. We even went around and talked about what it would look like in each of our contexts if we had a clean room, if we were to go clean the room. It was a fantastic afternoon. Did you clean your room? No. That's ridiculous. I fear we do that every time we gather to study the Word. What's the point? Did you do what I said? No, but I've got a coffee mug. 
I've got a workbook full of stuff that I've studied the word. You should see my journals. Did you do what I said? James wasn't having any of it. James don't play. If you finish the book of James and don't feel like you've got a spiritual bloody nose, you probably hadn't read it right. James says, don't just hear the word. It's important to hear it and listen. Do what it says. Not doing what the word says is like a man who looks in a mirror, my translation, sees some foreign object hanging out of his nose and leaves it there forgetting what he saw. Can you imagine someone just walking into a room, looking at themselves, seeing their hair disheveled, all kinds of stuff wrong with their face, and just saying, well, forget about it. They'll just have to deal with it. (laughs) James is saying, you're wasting your time. Why even go look in a mirror? Why why study the word if you're just going to forget what it said or not do anything with what it said? We've been doing a study called Masterclass. It's basically a study on how to study the Bible, and I hope this week closes the loop. Week one, the Word of God invites us into a conversation. This Word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Our God is a talking God. He's talked from the beginning. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. Our God speaks, and now we have this book, which is inspired of God, that we are invited into a conversation that's already going. God is speaking, and we are listening, and we converse with this God. We saw that week one. Week two, the conversation always leads to Jesus. It always leads to the sufficiency of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, on and on and on and on. That's where the conversation goes. Last week, we took it a step further and said, let's get a little more practical with this, how to study in order to understand. And I gave us from Nehemiah 8, three ways that we can begin to understand this better in in our study. Anybody can do it. One, What you're doing, gathering corporately, committing to gather corporately under the teaching and preaching of the word. Two, gather in smaller groups with those who know you that can help uh, encourage you and challenge you in the scriptures. And third, study by yourself. We looked at a one way of how to do that. And this week, let's close the loop. There's so many more things we could say about the word, but we can't end this series without saying we got to do what it says. We have to obey the word. What's the point? And listen, I know the drill, church. I've been doing this for 45 years and nine months. I know. Oh, that was a good word. Man, I needed to hear that. And I do absolutely nothing with it. James has some unique things to say about that kind of person. You might need to get the spinach out of your teeth. My translation. Look at verse 25 and how he kind of just sums all this up here. It's interesting how he brings it together after he talks about not deceiving yourself and doing and not just hearing. You can look at the mirror, blah, blah, blah. Verse 25, he says, But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. Isn't that interesting? He says, 
but the, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom. And then he says, blessed in what he does. That causes my antenna to go boing. Whoa, freedom? He's describing looking at the law, looking in the mirror of the scriptures. And when you read it, there's something inside of the believer that says, if I do this, it will set me free. If I obey this, it will release me from captivity. If I do this, I will be free. If I do this, I will live a blessed life. Not in a prosperous sense in that, in that sense of the word, but blessed in the sense of, uh, of, of connection, closeness, intimacy with God. When I look in the law, what he calls the scriptures here, a, a true believer, a child of God understands that we don't do it in order to get God to like us. We do it because he already does. We look at the law and say, this man who speaks this loves me. And if he tells me to do it, of course I'm going to do it because he wants to set me free. That's what happens when we look at the law of God. It's not something that's binding. Everything else, when we disobey God, that binds us. But Jesus tells us what to do in order to set us free. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Listen to what Paul said there. I think it'll be on the screen here. He says, we all with unveiled faces are looking in a mirror. There's the mirror image again. Looking in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. I believe that's another way to say James 1.25. Paul uses glory language. When you look in the scriptures, if you will, you're beholding glory, the glory of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, the power of Christ, the lordship of Christ, the teaching of Christ. And as you behold that, you become transformed into his image, saying this is about glory. This is about who Jesus is for me. And you be transformed from one degree of glory to another. By the way, I need to say this because in James 1.25, it says persevere in it. And in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says from one degree of glory to another. It's a slow, long process. If you're looking for immediate overnight change, you're probably going to be very, very frustrated with Christianity. But I hope that frees you. Because if you're anything like me, sometimes you look at your life and say, you mean I'm still messing with that? I'm still wrestling with that. Maybe not you, but the person sitting to your left. Yes, it's a slow process. Now, Wes Franklin, I want you to hear me. When you open this book and you read a command to obey, the command to obey is to be done. If you're a child of God, not in order to get God to love you, you obey because you know he already does. You don't do the scriptures to necessarily become, a, you don't do the scriptures to become a child of God. You do the scriptures because you are. It's huge. So when you read a command and you think, oh, I better do this or God's not going to like me today. Or I better do this or God's going to punish me later today. That's missing the point. You do the scriptures because he loves you and you know that. Let me show, let me show you where, where James says this. Back up with me in verse 19, to verse 19 of, of chapter 1. Watch this. He kinda, this is where he gets a run and jump into the be doers of the word and not hearers only. Verse 19, let, watch this. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. <laughs> Boy, there's a sermon. Whew. Okay, I'll move on. 
and slow to anger. Gosh, there's a sermon. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Gosh, there's another sermon. Boy, sometimes I try, I don't know. Why can't you just get your ass together? Human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Why don't you just obey? That's me. Maybe you can pray for me on that. I'm sure none of you struggle. Do you? Okay, guess not. Verse 21, here's, here's what I wanted to. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now, that's a mouthful in all three of those verses. But I want you to put your eyes on that phrase, implanted word. That means it's something that's done to you. That means that God places his word in you. He plants it like a seed in soil. He embeds it in you. You can prepare for it. You can get ready for it. I mean, look what he says there in verse uh, 25. Uh, excuse me, verse, oh, where am I? 21. Ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. There's a way you can get rid of the stuff that's getting in the way between you and God that's keeping you from experiencing God's best, opening yourself up to the reality of God. But this is something that God does in us. God makes us his child. He plants his word in us. So when we read the word, it becomes who we are. We, we do because it's who we are. I don't know if you recall God sending the prophet Jeremiah and years and years and years, God's people thought they had to obey the law in order to get God to like them and they just kept messing up, kind of like you and I do when we think we've got to keep the law to get God to like us. It never works. Well, God knew that and so we print sent the prophet Jeremiah to say, tell them about a new covenant, something I'm going to do. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3, he says, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. <laughs> Where's the law of God? In here. Implanted word. Why do, I, why do I say this? Because I want, I want you and I to understand for the child of God, something happens in us when we read a command from Scripture that it's not to get God to like us. It's because he already does and we trust that he wants to bring us freedom and bless us. That's why we obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. When you look in a mirror and see something, a spiritual mirror and see something needing attention, it's God's invitation to say, let me help you along with that. It's God's invitation to say, I see that, you see that, let's deal with this together. And sometimes you look in a mirror and you see something needing attention. Sometimes you look in a mirror and you think, man, the world needs to see this. You don't ever do that? I don't either. I just hear some people that do that. Sometimes you look in the mirror and you think, man, the world needs to see this. And spiritually speaking, sometimes you look in the mirror and you think, God did something amazing in me. The world needs to see this. God, God look what God did to me. I'm 
this. And look at what God's doing. I got to show the world this. Not in a, not in a uh, vain sense, in a grace of God sense. It's how it works. You look, in the, you look in the mirror of the word. There's something that needs to be addressed. You walk with Jesus through it. And there are days when you know there's some repenting that needs to go on. There are days when you realize he loves you. There are days most of the time when both of those things collide. And you get up and say, look at what God's doing in me. And you find yourself presentable to the world by the grace of the Lord Jesus. Now, before we wrap up, I want to show you, okay, how do you, what do you mean obey? What, is, what does it look like? Well, well, James gives us two ways to obey at the end of the chapter. Look at verse 26. Real quick, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Isn't it interesting that right after he talks about looking into the law that brings freedom and being blessed, he says, control your tongue and love helpless people. You want to know whether or not you're being obedient to the Lord? Ask yourself what's coming out your mouth. And ask yourself, how are you at loving other people? And by what's coming out your mouth, I don't mean letting a cuss word slip every now and then. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't, I don't encourage you to do that. Even if your team is struggling. <laughs> I have to write one down and sign my name to it or something. I don't know. It's much deeper than that. It's not just a letting one slip. This is, do you use your mouth to help under, un, other people understand that they're part of the story of God? Do you use your mouth the way God uses his word towards you and you help them understand who they are as a child of God? Do you use your mouth to build them up? Pure religion is controlling your tongue in such a way that helps them see how they are involved in the story of God. And true religion is loving those people who can't love you back. Why does he say widows and orphans? Well, because they need love. But guess what? They can't give you anything in return. Just like your relationship with God, he loves you, though you can't give him anything in return. And when you swim around in those waters you will become that kind of person that obeys. Now, we've got a treat. We are going to get to see obedience displayed three different ways as we close the service. We've got a video of three people being baptized in recent weeks. You know it's a command of Scripture to be baptized. Matthew 28, Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're going to get to go obey the scriptures and come and have the Lord's Supper together right after that. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And before we're dismissed, we're going to get to commission a young lady who's going overseas for the sake of the gospel, obeying the call of God.